Hey everybody, it's Austin Walker here from GiantBomb.com. You're about to listen to an interview with Denny Unger that I did while I was at PAX. Denny is the president and creative director of Cloudhead Games, uh, and they're making a game called The Gallery, The Six Elements. While I was at PAX, I got to play the first episode of that game called Call of the Starseed. Call of the Starseed. It was a VR game for the HTC Vive. I mentioned it in passing in the article I wrote last week about my trip to PAX. Uh, and, and here is my interview with Denny. There was some loud noise at the very beginning of this interview. Some people were talking down the hall, and I think it's not too bad. Uh, you, can, you can pretty clearly hear the conversation I'm having with Denny. Uh, but after that, it gets a little better. So, so stick it out. And uh, thanks so much. Hey, everyone. It's Austin Walker from GiantBomb.com. Today I'm speaking to Denny Unger from Cloudhead Games. I just finished playing uh, Call of the Starseed. Is there, a, is there a subtitle to that? Uh, it's the gal- It's under kind of the moniker of the gallery, and there's, it's because there's four episodes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which was a VR game using the HTC Vive. This is my first Vive experience. Uh, tell me a little bit about the game and, and our listeners. So the game is sort of based around 80s fantasy adventure movies. Um, we, we actually specifically chose that kind of genre because VR is kind of an overwhelming experience in general um, and we wanted to <laughs> every 80s movie you've ever watched is kind of predictable and you know that no matter how bad things get you're going to be taken care of right you know <laughs> so we went there with it but it's kind of like Goonies Labyrinth kind of dark fantasy it does have a Goonies thing I mean like that's good part of that is is helped by like the fact that there's a, a radio that you run into early yeah. on and there's some, some sweet 80s jams playing in there <laughs> those sweet 80s instrumentals that you would totally hear on like pop radio there. Yeah. Um, so, so to give us kind of a, a setup there, it's like you you start off near uh, the ocean on what I presume is a little island or, or something like that. Um, and the HTC Vive, this is the first time I've used that and, and its motion controls. There is a trigger button. There is a touchpad that you can like uh, you know move your finger around. And it's also a button. And there's a side button on the side of the controller that you can use to pick things up uh, in the game. And you hold that down. Yeah. There's two of them, one in each hand, sort of like the Oculus Touch works. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you move through the world in an interesting way, uh, which is that you touch in the the touch sensor, you push that in, and then you look around with your head, and it blinks you to a new location where you then have kind of a gated off like you know ten by ten or five by five or something like area where you can look around. Yeah. Um, and you know we've been talking about VR a lot on the site over the last six months since E three. And uh, this is the second or third demo I've gotten. I did, I did VR uh, Elite. I did Oculus Elite. I did the Oculus Touch demo. Now I've done this. Um, this is the first time that I've been able to consider what moving around in a slow-paced adventure game might feel like that isn't just holding a button and that feels, or like you know, pushing up on a thumbstick or something. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you, you thought about doing like, oh, if you hold up on the on the touchpad, you move a little, you move forward. And yeah. this works so much better. So you hold it in, you look at a location, you blink to it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what, what did it take to get to that design? It took three years to get to that design, quite honestly, because yeah. when we started in uh, early 2013, it was all about pushing the stick. It was this, right. that sort of same trope. Like, is every other game does that, right? So yeah. you think, well, in VR, maybe we can get away with it. But you quickly find that um, any kind of artificial acceleration, mm-hmm. or they call it vection, um, creates discomfort. Anything that you're 
that your brain is perceiving as movement that your body isn't actually doing sure causes a disconnect in your vestibular system in your ear totally so um we did a bunch of stuff early on we did like um we created something called vr comfort mode which was still stick based so you could push forward and back artificially Mm -hmm. Um, but when you rotated you'd get like these incremental snap turns to take away a rotational vection okay which helped with nausea but it still felt a little uncomfortable um but when we finally had access to like a full room scale that we can actually move around in, yeah, we realized pretty quickly that if we're going to make like a successful commercial viable product, there can be no sickness, there can mm-hmm. be no discomfort. Like it just has to go away completely. Right. It can't be a thing anyone's like, oh, I'll no, deal with this because exactly. this fire looks cool, or like, or I'll get used to it. You it won't. It can't. That's get, not how the body. Well, works. some. It, it's <laughs> kind of like being a fighter jet pilot or something sure. like that. You, you can get used to a lot of things, but. You don't want a commercial product to be that, right. you right. know. So, uh, we took it on from that other perspective, which is okay. Let's figure out a locomotion system that makes no one sick. There's sure. just no possibility of sickness at all, right? Um, and then, so we started thinking about sort of old school mist style yeah. experiences, and then how to, but how to move around without being constrained by that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, so you still feel like you have complete freedom to go wherever you want. But it's more like a cinematic transition between points, right? Um, and funny enough, it feels pretty good. You yeah, know? it does. You know, so so for an example, the way the way it works is like so you start off on this kind of dock and you move through a kind of cave system and you're able to pick up uh, you know some some light sources. Um, you have a backpack that has some inventory items in it, and just like the notion of like there was moments where it was like, okay, <laughs> I want to know what's in that little alcove of this cave. I'll push in the the, the direction or the um, touchpad. Uh, I'll jump over there, and then once I'm there, I have a space where I can move around yeah. physically. My body, I can move around again in this. Yeah. What is the What are the dimensions of that box? It, do you know? So that was the other thing. The second that we realized, okay, well, we can do this, we instantly recognized that not everybody's going to have the same amount of space. Right. So we had to make a. We call it an elastic play space. Interesting. Because it'll go to the size in front of your desk, or to the size of a living room carpet, or to a warehouse, or whatever. Like it'll cool. scale. So how does it figure that out? Is the sensors on the... You pre-calibrate, oh, okay. so it knows your safe bounds. Cool. The, the really interesting thing is that if somebody actually has a warehouse, you could walk from one end of the first level to the other really? and never blink, right? Wow. <laughs> but the smaller it gets, we kind of um, we expand the system to give you more um, options for locomotion. Mm-hmm. Um, the more limited you are. So, But ideally, you're playing like on a living room TV carpet. Right. Because it gives you that like two-step in any direction. Well, thing. it also gets over... The thing with doing it in a warehouse is that I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much there because there's elevation changes that I would not have felt. Right. Right? Whereas like in this, it's like, oh, I'm going to climb up this this like yeah. slight incline. That's true. Yeah. And like, oh, hey, I'm here now. Yeah. I didn't. It's okay that I missed climbing, yes. right? Yeah, totally. Which is which is interesting. Um, the game is like super moody, uh, and and you know, it it hits this. It does hit that like '80s fantasy adventure <laughs> sci-fi stuff uh, pretty well. There's there's like a oh, you're on this island exploring it mm-hmm. and and looking around. Uh, and the other day on our panel, I talked about like my favorite thing so far. Has been, <laughs> Uh, a moment during an Oculus Touch demo that everything kind of fell apart for a moment and I could see how narrative might be delivered in this yes. space or how this might be uniquely suited to deliver narrative. Yeah. And in this demo, there was a moment that, that hit that for me, which was you come through this cavern system, you've kind of heard uh, a, a tape cassette from your sister who has said, like, oh, hey, here's a thing that you need to do to to, to advance, basically. Yeah. I, you know, there's a door you have to get past, and you need to get a tool to do that, and to do that, you have to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of move past there, and you look up to the right, and there is uh, a lighthouse keeper on a lighthouse off in the distance. And, like, 
seeing another person yeah. moving and just it's simple. He's just waving, you yeah. know, um, was like startling in the same way that seeing a person yeah. for real when you're out late at night somewhere or when you're like, like oh, hey, there's yeah, yeah. another person. Exactly. How do I read this person? How can I read their body language? Um, and it's been said again and again, but the notion of scale in VR is so important mm-hmm. and it, it sells that stuff so well. Mm-hmm. Right? Here is a human here's a human shaped thing that is the size of a human in yeah. the distance <laughs> yes. um, that I can't read from here mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really excited to see what the rest of what you guys do here because yeah. it is it is so far like even little moments like that have been great so I'm really curious to see f- further on yeah. uh, what's the what what are what's the rest of this game look like so this was like again for the people listening kind of adventure gamey yeah. like how do I make these things interact how do I I had to shoot some bells with a flare gun yeah. uh, that was fun but like <clears throat> Is it going to be puzzle, puzzle, puzzle? Is that the, the look of this? So one of the reasons we chose the opening level, obviously, is because we're trying to teach. There's a lot of teaching going on, right. um, but it doesn't dive take a deep dive into story quite yet at mm-hmm. that point. Um, so much of our time was spent in R&D that uh, we had a big shift in focus to narrative design mm-hmm. and making that all fun. Like, once you figure out the raw mechanics of how it's going to work, then it's about where's the fun, where's the story, Right, right. So um, as you kind of descend deeper, you're, you're looking for your lost sister. She's, she's gone missing, and she's told you to come to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you meet some crazy characters. There's Professor Vanderbilt, who's this kind of mad scientist researcher guy who's been looking for this anomaly deep, mm-hmm. deep underground. And that's, that'll be kind of your first taste of interacting with a virtual character. Right. Um, we're actually using Perception Neuron right now to do our motion capture. Cool. Uh, and it's really, really good. Like, for a small studio to have access to that, it's basically like having access to a $100,000 mocap studio. Right. So we've been having a ton of fun building these like narrative, strong narrative moments with another virtual being. Right. That's going to be such a a test of VR. Yes. How those those instances feel. Yeah. Um, because if it hits, it's going to hit, and if yeah. it misses, it could it could really be uh, you could really get get jostled out. Yeah. Of the entire experience. It's, I think it has a lot to do with like how you what your sort of overall style is, yeah. game style, um, and if you can match that with. Um, character creation, it yeah. works. So we've got, you know, Professor Vanderbilt, we've got him animated um, in the lower sewer. The, this, it's sort of when things start to get really weird okay. for you as the player. Right, like entering a sewer at the end of that, yeah. and that keeps going down. It I keeps guess. going down, yeah. And, and it, it, essentially, after this first episode, things take a complete deep dive into completely alien fantasy worlds. Sure. Um, but we have to introduce that whole right. s- story arc. Are but, you going like a little Lovecraftian with it, or are you going like it, so? <laughs> Starseed has a very Starseed is very eighties. Yeah, it's <laughs> just yeah. the title, right? Um, so all I'll say is you you find this very ancient machine, okay, deep underground. Uh, but but yeah, those moments when you're interacting with a virtual character are really compelling. Yeah. Like even in in the state that we're in, like we're we're in a finaling stage, so we're getting all this sort of great stuff happening, but we can't show anything yet. Right. And we also don't want to spoil. What of course, it is. of course, that's yeah. tough. How how hard has it been to teach people this? Like I, it, it, I took to it pretty quickly. Is has that been the experience, or has there been a serious learning curve for most folks? Um, you mean new players? Yeah. Um, yeah. So far, it's been really positive I think once they get blink and once they understand mm-hmm. oh I can physically grab things um, it's great I, I find that um, there's two different kinds of players there's there's sort of really open-minded players that have no problem getting their heads around that idea that oh I can move around and they right. totally trust what's going on right I think trust is a big part of it because once you trust that you can physically walk around once you trust that you can blink and do both of those things right. um, you have a great experience but some people are like 
wait, I can turn around? Right. I've never done that before in a video game. Yeah. You know, I can sit on the ground or lay down. Or... Right, right. And it was about when I was, like, making popcorn and like, <laughs> kneeling next to the fire. I yeah. probably could have just leaned over, but, like, yeah. no, it feels like I should, I should kneel here and look in, you know? So that's the biggest difference between something like Connect, um, right. where movements are kind of gestural. They're not one-to-one, whereas this is, like, everything is mapped one-to-one completely. So you're much more prone to actually getting physical because mm-hmm. there's a compelling reason to do it. Right. Like you just, you feel like you're there. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so have you looked at other, other VR solutions? Are you coming out on just the, the Vive? Are you... So um, any early publisher, any early studio, small or big, getting into the VR space right now has to consider multi-platform support. Right. If you're going to remain viable um, yeah. throughout 2016, you have to. So we're not exclusive to HTC, but it is currently the best platform for what we're doing. Okay. That being said, Oculus Touch, we've seen demos as you have. Yeah. Uh, and we're pretty confident that we can port to that system. So. Yeah, the ergonomic thing on that yeah. device is so good, and I I'm, yeah. really would love to try out your demo again with yeah. uh, with those with the half-moon controllers. Yeah, us too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Uh, what, so what was the background for, for your studio before this? What sort of stuff have you worked on and, and the other people? <laughs> um, so, like, Joel and Mike and, and some other people have come from other bigger studios, mm-hmm. um, Bioware and Relic. And, okay. Uh, I Previously, I used to do, like, <laughs> D&D board games and stuff. Oh, rad. We yeah. should talk after this, because <laughs> yeah. no one wants to hear it, but I <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I, would, I was always kind of a VR garage hacker, so okay. I'd build, like, collimated displays and try really bad <laughs> headsets and... Um, in the 92, I did virtual virtuality, and it was like a terrible VR experience, but it was exciting at the okay. same time. And so I've always had that bug in my brain about doing something for Coming VR. Coming back to it. And uh, met Palmer Lucky on a message forum called MTBS, mm-hmm. and that was before everything kind of took off. So he's going to sell like a hundred of us the parts just to build our own headset. Right? right. And it was the first iteration of having like a single um, display with you know cell phone components in it to make right. it work. And then uh, John Carmack got involved, and then that whole thing just started rolling, and I'm like, okay, this is an amazing opportunity to to do something, because people aren't getting it yet. So we just took a deep dive um, with three people in the studio, uh, started developing with Razer Hydra motion controllers, Mm -hmm. because that's all that existed at the time. Um, and just, we were really stubborn about VR should be a standing experience and you should be able to use your hands. Right. And not just a controller in your yeah. hand. Like, that's the thing that had me, that's, I've been super skeptical about, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've done, uh, an elite demo with, with a controller. I've done an elite demo with the, with a, like a thruster and a joystick and like, oh, hey, this is just better. Like, yeah. uh, same thing with the half moon. Like, oh, hey, like this is just better than holding down a thumbstick to move or yeah, yeah. to even press buttons that are, that feel like an Xbox 360 controller button or a PS4, yeah. you know, controller button. So yeah, and re- removing abstraction—that's what happens when you have really good motion control—is mm-hmm. you start to lose abstractions. Like, so you, right. you're just physically doing the things that you would do kind right. of in reality. But yeah. Uh, so, so what was it like for for you and the rest of the team to go from like telling stories in these other spaces, whether that is like a Bioware style RPG or a D and D board game, mm-hmm. to this? Like, what what are the challenges and what are the the benefits of moving into the VR space? For storytelling, the benefits are that it's a completely uncharted realm of possibility, and so every week you'll do something new that's not in a Google search. It's not something you can find, um, and that's really like a reward, deeply rewarding. Right. Because how many times in your life do you have the opportunity to do something new? Totally. Um, in any medium, you know. So this is a really unexplored area, and I think anybody getting into it will find reward that way. Um, the challenges are many. 
it's it's very stressful because you are up against these really hard walls of oh there is no example no right. practical example of how to do this in VR so you'll spend a lot of time in R&D and figuring out locomotion figuring out how you do narrative in VR um, and then piling way more detail into the small things than mm -hmm. you ever would have had to in a normal video game right yeah awesome well, thanks so much, Denny. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Do you have an aim for a date when this stuff comes out? Is it like yeah, so when the rest of it comes out? The end of the year, we're launching on Vive. Okay. Um, we don't have a specific date yet. but Okay. But, uh, good luck. Soon. I hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye -bye.